This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we have Louise. Louise was 2018 winner of ACHP Magazine's Most Influential in Safety. Louise, if you just want to come in and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Blair, and thanks for having me on tonight. I am yeah, Louise Taggart. I am a sister who tells her wee brother's story, Michael's story. I'm also a trustee of a workplace health and safety charity, Scottish Hazards. And I used to be able to say that I was an employment lawyer by day and a facker by night. But as I'm no longer an employment lawyer, I guess I can just say I'm a, a facker all the time. And we'll probably come on and I'll explain a bit more about that later on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you just want to go back to the start, Louise, tell us a bit about your background, where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up not very far from where I'm sitting right now, as it happens, uh, just about a mile along the road uh, here in Edinburgh. So, yeah, Edinburgh born and bred. I grew up as a football daft tomboy and also a SWAT. Um, so not actually not an ideal combination. You were either going to be super confident, I guess, or quite shy and um, meek. And I was more the latter, I have to say wouldn't have stood up in front of my class at school to do any sort of presentation, any sort of talk. Used to have to be taken off to a side room by our teacher, maybe three or four of us to just do it amongst ourselves because that's all we could manage. But despite that, I um, well, I wanted to be a PE teacher. Uh, I got convinced by teachers that in actual fact my grades were such that I should be thinking about something different. So it was a choice between a lawyer or an accountant and given my hatred of numbers, uh, went down the law route. So yeah, ended up um, going to Edinburgh University mm-hmm. to study law. Quite a well-respected course as well, Edinburgh University's law degree. Yeah, well, it was a kind of, it was a choice between Aberdeen or Edinburgh and mm-hmm. I, I swithered I have to say but the fact was I couldn't have afforded to leave home and go to Aberdeen at the time so yeah I, I let my parents know that I was I was going to Edinburgh after all by filling in an accommodation application mm-hmm. for accommodation in their home and uh, leaving it in front of the television so yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey through that then? How did you start to find your first job and find your way in the world from there? Uh, well, as it happens after, so I did my four year law degree, did the honours degree. But during the course of that, I had done a work placement, a sort of summer placement at a law firm. Mm-hmm. And I decided at the end of that, or actually probably during the course of it, that there was no way on this earth that I was turning into that uh, because the, the sort of the admin team that I'd been sat next to to do the summer placement they were amazing got mm-hmm. on great guns with them the lawyers on the other hand were a completely different breed mm-hmm. just 
seemed really arrogant. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to turn into that. So mm -hmm. having done my nearly, having nearly finished my four years of my law degree, I'm then deciding that actually I don't want to do this after all. Mm -hmm. But my favourite course during the course of the degree had been labour law. Right. So employment law. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I set about kind of applying for HR jobs. I applied to the TUC's organising academy. I was just trying to find something where I could use that employment law knowledge, mm -hmm. um, but didn't have to be a lawyer. Yeah. But I did that for a while and then I, I sort of spoke again to my director of studies at the time who'd also been my labour law tutor. And he was like, look, the offer is still there to speak to this specialist niche employment law firm mm -hmm. and see if you could even go in there for a few hours a week and see if there's something that you could do that would be helpful to them. So that's what I did. He got me in the door to have a chat with the two partners. Mm -hmm. And we got on and they said, look, could you come and do 16 hours a month for us research? Mm -hmm. So I thought, great a wee stepping stone and within a week they'd asked me if I could do the job full time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of, I went from there, realised that yeah, not all lawyers are the same. Absolutely they are not. Mm -hmm. And I loved what they were all about. So I worked there, uh, but what you have to do before you can do your traineeship as a lawyer is do a diploma, mm -hmm. uh, the diploma in legal practice. So I had to go back to university again for another year. So I worked at Mackay Simon up until I went back to university. They then kept me on while I did that and I continued to do research work. And then I did my traineeship, kicked off my traineeship with them. So yeah, worked out quite well. Didn't ever have to do the kind of big scary interview that you might have to do to get your first job in the law. It, mm -hmm. it was more of a, a sort of informal chat at the time. So. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, if we continue on, did you have another job after that or? No, so I, I qualified as an employment lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I, was a, I was a normal employment lawyer mm -hmm. to begin with. So I was doing the employment tribunal representation work, mm -hmm. uh, although I only did one. So I say I played one, won one, retired undefeated. Um, <laughs> so quite a satisfying win because it was for somebody who had um, been treated badly after a maternity leave. So mm. it, was a, it was a sex discrimination claim that we were able to get her some money for. But I, I don't know, my, my heart wasn't really in it. I hated all the noting your time by minutes and I hated the amount of fees that people could rack up. Um, mm. It just made me really uncomfortable. So there was a, a need for what was called a professional support lawyer. Mm -hmm. at the time so again it was it was kind of going back to the research and skills if you like so yeah slipped into that role fairly shortly after I qualified I maybe only worked as a normal lawyer for six to nine months something like that and then I, I became a professional support lawyer so that was more researching writing the talks um, and yeah writing articles writing client updates all that kind of thing kind of mm -hmm. just digesting the law and making it understandable, if you like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I worked as that. Uh, well, I ended up being a, an employment lawyer. For, I was an employment lawyer for 13 years in total. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
your route into health and safety is a bit of a journey as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Louise? Yeah, so, um, yeah, something I never set out to do, never wanted to do, and certainly would never want somebody to have to do the way that I've had to come to it. Um, because my, I came to it as a result of my wee brother having been killed at work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Michael was 26 years old. He was engaged to be married. He left home on Thursday the 4th of August 2005 to go to his work and he didn't make it home again. Um, He died on an all hands on deck job to get a JJB sports store and gym complex ready for a handover to a client by the next again day or else his company's penalty closes were going to kick in. Mm -hmm. So yeah I've come to it because of that Um, and yeah, even, I guess, I, I, I continued working as an employment lawyer while the trial and so on was going on. And I think in some ways my family were lucky in some respects that I was an employment lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to get the access to the advice that we needed quite quickly. And we were able to push perhaps more stridently with the Procurator Fiscal's office to get answers and to get progress and so on. Um, But yeah, there there came a point where I actually, I was was looking through some stuff to do a client update while I was still working as the lawyer. And I came across this group called Families Against Corporate Killers. So Mm -hmm. that's where the FAC and the FACR come in. Mm -hmm. So I found out about this group and I thought to myself, you know, I'll maybe just ping them an email. So it was about a year after Michael's death. I had, I had been a bit lost as to kind of, what do you, what do, you do now? How, how do you do something to make this better? Um, so FAC had been set up to provide support to families who had lost loved ones as a result of work-related incidents. Um, to try to get some justice for families and to try to make sure that lessons were learned from deaths so that future deaths didn't happen. So yeah, I got in touch with FAC and that I guess set off this journey that I'm on now. I think if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't got in touch with FAC, there's absolutely no way I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you are doing now, Louise, in industry? Yeah, so um, so as a result of, of getting involved with FAC, I also got put in touch with Scottish Hazards, which mm-hmm. at the time was a sort of campaigning um, group, campaign organisation. Yep. So through that, I met um, a guy called Ian Tasker, mm-hmm. who at the time was the assistant secretary for the STUC. Uh, with responsibility for health and safety. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got to know Ian and he kind of initially coaxed me into talking a bit about what had happened to Michael. Um, yeah. But this was initially at a political party conference, uh, mm-hmm. trying to move forward. Uh, moves at the time to sort of revamp the law on culpable homicide in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, 
So I did that initially. Through that, Ian then had been in at Babcock International Group over at Rosyth, speaking to them about something else. And they'd had a bit of a run of incidents with their electricians. Mm-hmm. And Ian had said to them, you should get Louise in to speak to them. And I was like, no, that's that's not what I do. Um, mm. There's no way I'm doing that. And then you get to thinking, do you know what? You've got four weeks worth of notes from the trial of Michael's employer mm-hmm. sitting on a shelf gathering dust um, mm. doing nothing. Why don't you try uh, and put them into some sort of presentation? So I did. I went in that first time and was just a wreck um, from start to finish I have to say uh, I think there wasn't a dry eye in the house by the time I, I was on slide two never mind the, the 15 or 20 slides whatever it was I had mm-hmm. but at the end of it I got asked by the their director of health and safety if I would go back and I would present Michael's story to everybody on the site so mm-hmm what I thought was a kind of one-off presentation turned into a can you come and do this again for us time and again and since then it's kind of it's just grown and grown um sort of word of mouth and you get more and more inquiries to go out and and talk about what happened to him so I don't know lots, lots of people have counselling or whatever that never ever helped me this is what helps me yeah and can I just say you're one of the bravest people I've met I've interviewed a whole host of people on this podcast and to take a really really negative event like that and turn it around and be able to go out and speak about it to encourage people to work safely is so brave and courageous thanks Beryl I often say it's either brave or stupid (laughs) Yeah, either brave or stupid. Uh, I don't know. I, I swing between the two at times, I have to say. But mm-hmm. yeah. So, where, where's next then, Louise? Where do you see yourself going to um, with your, your journey into the health and safety side of things and continuing on with your message? You've obviously spoken at a lot of international conferences and all around the world now delivering the story. Yeah, I have, and do you know what? Like, I've I've never had a a plan as to what's next. I just it's kind of where does it lead you next? Last year, I got invited to go to Australia, which was completely way off beam. Um, but again, that was somebody who had seen the power of Michael's story while at um, Brosyth, as mm-hmm. it happens, and wanted me to come and and tell it for his. Um, his colleagues over there so yeah I don't know I I don't know where it's going to go particularly not at the minute Um, Mm. I think it's just it's just trying to develop different things so it's not even just Michael's story so you know it's Scottish Hazards it's the work that I'm doing with Scottish Hazards as a trustee what we want to do at Scottish Hazards is we've got an advice centre for workers Mm -hmm. so at the minute you can imagine that there's quite a demand for our helpline advice and support Mm -hmm. so what we really want to try to do there is sort of solidify long-term funding 
for yeah. the advice center so that we can grow the support and the advice that we can provide to people mm-hmm. so yeah so that that's going to be a bit of a journey it's been a bit of a focus this past few months um, because obviously i've not really been able to do what i would normally be doing so there's been more in the way of trying to do a bit of publicity for scottish hazards mm-hmm. record some videos um which we've never really done before record some little advice little short advice videos that we can publicize our work and tell people what their rights are that kind of thing um and now yeah we're moving on to to see where we where we go sort of for the next two three years how we how we develop this further that sounds excellent louise and i'll be honest i'd never heard of scottish hazards before a conversation how do people get involved in that how do we help out to raise funds for it okay uh well different ways so um we're in the process just now of sort of doing some grant funding application. We've mm-hmm. done some sponsored opportunities recently. I, I've also got a little Vimeo video of Michael's story. Mm-hmm. So just a little six minute video, which I encourage people if they use it within their workplaces, if they could make a wee donation to Scottish Hazards, it doesn't need to be much um, at all, but um, everything helps at the minute. We are going to be encouraging people to sort of, so next month we're going to do a bit of a launch of a funding uh, campaign. So we're just in the process of mm-hmm. working that up just now, but we want people to commit to a sort of monthly donation, just a little monthly donation, whether it's three quids or a fiver or whatever it might be, just to see if we can build our funding that way. Um, so yeah, so look out for that next month and then i think we'll probably repeat a call for that in the lead up to workers memorial day next year international workers memorial day on the 28th of april yeah so So we've got quite a few viewers on the safer than your average podcast now so if you all donate a couple of pounds a month to help out this excellent charity with some of the work that we're doing we would really appreciate it absolutely blair that'd be amazing Okay, and we'll put some links to the website as well in the description for the podcast. So what advice then, Louise, would you give someone starting out their career in health and safety today? Um, God, that's, that's a difficult one because, yeah, I never, I never set out to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, be prepared to share mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Uh, whether it's your successes. Um, I know there's a lot of sort of industries, organisations, job roles where you'll develop a new way of doing something and you want to keep that to yourself because it gives you a competitive advantage or whatever. Whereas safety is completely different. Um, If you develop a better way of communicating a message, Mm -hmm. uh, of doing a process so that it's done in a safer way, then share that as far and as wide as you can um, so that other people get to know and also if you have something that's a near miss for example because I I don't want people to get to the point where what happened to Michael is happening in their organisations but if you have a near miss then share your learnings from that so Mm. I saw a brilliant thing on LinkedIn trying to think how long ago it was not as long as a year ago maybe earlier this year like towards the start of this year 
it was a guy from um, Forsyth of Denny. Yeah. Had, they'd had a near miss mm-hmm. and he wrote a letter out to sort of industry peers saying, you know, we tend to share our good news and look how amazing we are. But what do we, what does anybody actually learn from that? Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas what I want to share with you now is we've had this near miss happen in our yard. We nearly lost one of our colleagues. Mm-hmm. If you can learn from that, this, please do. Um, I'm going to be open and honest with you and, and this is what happened and this is what should be happening. Mm-hmm. So that is so refreshing to see. Um, sort of coming at something from the point of view of we're not coming at this as a, an arse covering exercise. Yeah. Uh, we actually want people to learn and to stop something from happening in future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's quite a big distinction between businesses just now, especially during COVID-19, that we're seeing two different style of businesses and the way that they're acting. Some businesses are really looking after their people while others are putting them in the position to say, you must go to work, you must do what we're saying, and they're not putting the correct arrangements in place for them. So we're starting to see the gap between good and bad widening. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the calls to our COVID-19 helpline at Scottish Hazards sometimes are are extremely concerning. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we know that there is good practice out there. So... Mm-hmm. I've put out a call a couple of times saying, you know, if you've got good practice on this, can you share it with us so that we can then share with other people? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone wants to get involved with Scottish Hazards, we'll put the description in the, the link, um, as I said, and we'll also try and sponsor it as much as we can. If uh, there's any experts out there in health and safety that are watching the podcast as well and they want to get involved, please reach out to Louise. I'm sure she'd be happy to have you on board to help provide advice and guidance. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Louise, and sharing your story. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.